The message I have to bring today is one I am somewhat reluctant to bring and yet somewhat anxious to bring. I recognize that uh, what I say might not be received very easily. You might not be ready to hear it. You might, you know, it might, it might be somewhere where you're not. But uh, my hope is, is that even if you're not quite ready for it, if you don't agree with it, that you at least consider it. And it may, in time, be something that bears fruit in your life. I once had a man come in, and he and his wife came in to, to talk to me about some things, and he, and he said he, he had visited but hadn't been around in about a year after, after one sermon, and he said, you preached this one sermon, and I didn't like what I heard. He said, it took me about a year. He said, but I realized you were right, and, and I was really in the wrong way. And uh, not that I'm always right, even if I do like to always be right. But I do think that uh, give it time, let it, let it simmer in your mind, and maybe in some point uh, it'll, it'll help you. Because I, I firmly believe, and, and this, this is where you might you know, just be like, okay, I don't know about this. You have enemies in the world today. I, I firmly believe you have enemies. That there are people in the world today that wish you ill and wish to destroy everything you have. It, it has become apparent to me in, in, in recent events that it, it is no longer a shadow, it's no longer a possibility. It is just a matter of when they will succeed. Now maybe it would help to have a definition. So what is an enemy? Oxford Dictionary, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, they basically agree that an enemy is one that is hostile to another. And, and I've used a synonym for the word that I found there because hostile was easier for me to to pronounce and for us to understand. And it also lines up with the Greek word that is used for enemy, ekthros, as one who is hostile to another. Uh, another part of being an enemy is, is one seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound an opponent. So uh, being an enemy isn't just necessarily that they're over there and I'm over here. We can, be, we can be in our own space and in our own country and get along fine with somebody because they have no desire to do something to us. I would say the, for the most part, this has been America's attitude in, in recent history. I know we had manifest destiny. I know we had the attitude of we own it all and we're going to take it. But for the most part, if you want to be uh, living in subjection to your government in another country, you know what, just don't try to export it and we'll get along, has generally been the attitude of America. Our, our foreign policy in the, the 50s through the 70s was fear of the domino effect, that the export of communism would continue to spread. and It was the export that we were concerned about the most. You want to be that way, that's fine. 
Don't force it on us. Don't force it on other people. Has generally been the attitude that we have. Not always. There are some even in America who would like to force things upon others, who would like to subject, to injure, to confound, and that are hostile to others. We've seen this in the South throughout the 20th century. There were those who were hostile to, who desired to harm others. We had the Civil Rights Movement to overcome that. We're still working on that. But there are those within our country, and I would even say in other countries, it's obvious in the other countries, but but we're seeing it more and more within our own country that there are people within our borders who do not share a value of let's just live and own our own property. There are people who think that you don't deserve to own your own property, that the state should own it, that they should be able to use your property if they desire to, and that you really aren't allowed to have your thoughts You need to have the agreed-upon thoughts. I saw where a school district in California has actually come out. I think, well, I might be getting the state wrong. It might not have been California, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was. But they came out with a statement, government speech, you know, so that we don't have to have freedom of speech. And, for instance, if, uh, if I were to go into a school, I cannot, as a Baptist pastor, put up my notice about a youth Bible study. Can't do it. The school down in Richards, one of them said, oh, go ahead and put it up. I said, no, you don't understand. If you allow me to do that, you have to allow everybody to do that. And I don't think you really want every religion in the world putting up posters in your church or your school, do you? So I'm not going to do it myself. But they have come out with this thing called government speech, which means that it's government endorsed so that they don't have to give equal opportunity to other views. We're seeing cities, and maybe we're we're happy and and we're not too worried because they're not our city. Portland can burn. Seattle can burn. Minneapolis can burn, as long as it's not us. But there are human beings there that that are in fear for their lives and their livelihoods and their businesses because there are people who want to burn it all down. And, and tweeting, burn it all down, will not get you banned on Twitter. It will not get you removed from Facebook. And there is a, a power working in our world against truth. And, and maybe you're saying, well, you know, and, and you, get, you all understand, you know where I, if you've been around for any while, you know I was against mandates. Still am. I feel like we just jumped over, hey, be responsible for your life and for one another. And the attitude was, you aren't able to make those decisions. We have to enforce those decisions upon you. And, and you're not allowed to go to work, and you're not allowed to go to this restaurant, and you're not allowed to go to church, but you can go to the, the grocery store. That's all right. But don't gather. Don't gather. And, and maybe you thought, well, that was okay, that was right, that was for our health. But here's the thing. The way our country has worked, if you look at it, every wicked idea that has been brought forth has started from a good place. Why is abortion legal in America? 
besides the, the fact that the you know, Supreme Court decided it was. Nobody said, we really want to destroy our children within our own wombs. We're just selfish people. We don't want to raise a child. But we still want to do anything we want to do. And if there are consequences to our actions, we just want to take it out with a knife. Nobody said that. What did they say? Women are dying in back alley abortions. We must make it safe, legal, and rare to save lives. If you said it's immoral, they would come back at you with, but what about in the case of rape and incest? Surely you don't want to cause a girl who has been abused and used to have to carry that child. Those are actually pretty good arguments that are hard even for Christians to argue against. And so it gets in. And then it grows to the point where in Virginia they pass a law that says you can give birth to a child and we'll just put the child over to the side while you decide whether or not the child gets to live. And if the mother decided she really didn't want to have that child, then the doctors can take care of that child. You know, we're not going to say kill. We, we use gentler language. They'll just take care of the child. Just take care of the problem. Push it away. I firmly believe there will come a time in our country where uh, we'll have to watch out or just accept the consequences of our speech, of what we say. It's already happening. We might not have pastors being arrested like we do up in Canada, like they do in Australia and in China, obviously. But after this past year, I am no longer thinking that is a distant prospect. That is coming faster every day. It's, it's like... Uh, Hemingway said about going bankrupt. How did it happen? Very gradually for a long time, and then all of a sudden, you know. Our moral bankruptcy as a country has been happening very gradually over a long period of time, but now it's starting to happen pretty suddenly. Who would have thought 20 years ago we would have legalized same-sex marriage? And why did we? Same reason of abortion, for good reasons. Love is love. Oh man, they're using Jesus against us. Because who is love? God is love. Whoso loved the earth, the world, God loved us. Love is love. How are you to say your love is different than my love or your love is better than my love? Shouldn't two adults who, who are consenting and agree be able to do whatever they want within this country? Isn't it the land of freedom? Aren't we all equal? Hard to argue with those arguments. If you said, well, that opens the door to polyamory and that opens the door to incest and all sorts of other things, they got angry about it. But guess what? As soon as we legalize same-sex marriage, who's advocating in New York? Incest should be legal. And their arguments are exactly the same. You had this dad who didn't even know he had a daughter. And they met as adults. They were adults. And they got married. It was only after they got married that they found out. Why would you punish them? Why would you penalize them? They're two siblings, but they didn't know each other. They were separated at birth, and they never knew, but they met each other, and they found a connection, and they love one another. And who are you to say it's wrong? And truly, it will not take much time. Someday it's going to happen. 
They're already pushing for if you can have, it doesn't have to be a man and a woman on a piece of paper. If it can be a man and a man or a woman and a woman, why can't it be two men and a woman? Why can't it be two women and one man? They're already pushing for that. In the meantime, we have cities on fire with people chanting in August in Portland, death to America, which up until recently was mostly just chanted in Iran. And I remember seeing a picture. I can't find it anymore. For some reason, Google won't let me find it. But I remember seeing a picture of a car in Minneapolis spray-painted death to America. Now, everybody who marches doesn't have this attitude. There are people who have genuine grievances because they feel like they have an enemy in the world and that enemy is out to get them for no other reason than the color of their skin and their sex. But there are people who are using that energy and that action to try to bring as much destruction as possible. And if you go and look at their mugshots because they do get them right before they're released with no bail and no charges. It's amazing who they are. Who would have thought that today we would have story time with drag queens for toddlers? Or even the fact, and, and here's where we're getting with the speech thing. If you are a human being who, who believes that God created them male and female, and that's all he created them, but our country today says, no, there are as many sexes as we want there to be. And you're not even allowed to call them sexes, we're having to call them genders, because we like to change words, and if we change the word, we change the meaning. And if you believe that, that an XY chromosome is different than an XX chromosome, and that at a biological level, you are either a man or a woman, and that's the way it is, because God created you that way. We now live in a country and in a world where you're asked, in many places, what are your preferred pronouns? It's growing, it's, it's in the colleges, I don't know if it's in our high schools and our schools yet, it's not maybe in Texas, but it's in others. What are your preferred pronouns? How do you want to be addressed? It's called doxing if you are, and even death um, something or other, I forget the exact term, but, but you can't even refer to a person. If he is a man who was born a man and God created him as a man, but he thinks in his mind and in his heart he is a woman, you're not allowed to acknowledge reality. We are in a, an environment today where you're told the sky is pink. And you have to agree, not just at sundown, but all day long. You have to agree. And if you don't agree, you're hateful and you're bigoted and you're wrong. It reminds me of an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation when I was a kid. And it was called Chain of Command. And I know, especially if you're online, you can't really see it too well. But Picard is captured and he's being tortured. And the man who's torturing him says, you can stop all this torture if you just do one thing. Say that there are five lights, but there are four lights, and so torture continues. There are really five lights. Say that there are five lights, and it'll all be over. There are four lights. I feel like this is kind of what we as a society are going through right now, where we are being commanded to proclaim a lie as if it was truth, just so that we won't be tortured, just so that we won't be attacked. 
I'm not saying that a person who has gender dysphoria doesn't need kindness. I'm not, you know, I, I've thought about this. I, I, I can definitely call a person by whatever name they choose. Right? Amy wasn't born Cecil. She was born Frizzell, but she changed her name, and people call her Amy Cecil. They don't, you know, they don't insist on calling her by her maiden name. I can call a person. If John wants to be Jenny, I can call him Jenny if he wants to be a name. I can give them that. But if you want me to say you're a woman when you're really you're a man, you're asking me to lie about reality. Now, I can say you're a man who feels more comfortable as a woman. And that's how we used to handle it. But instead of getting people help, now what we are requiring us to do is for the entire world to join in the madness. And that's where we are today. And if you, if you hold to Scripture, if you hold to Jesus, if you hold to, to God created, our culture, with full support of our government, will increasingly not allow you to think that way. It's not enough just to say, you got to give him a job even if he's wearing a dress. That's not enough. No, you have to think the way we think. You have to agree or suffer the consequences. That's where we've gotten. It's amazing, because you know what? Christians tried this back in the 80s. Moral majority, you know, the, the religious right. We discovered you couldn't legislate morality. But our government and, and the powers that be today are discovering they can legislate morality. It's just an immoral morality. And you can legislate immorality all day long. Because it's easier to move to immorality. It's easier to give in to immorality than it is to give in to morality and to righteousness and truth. Now, I've said a lot and I haven't gotten into the Bible, so let's get into the Bible. Here's my point in all this. You have enemies in the world whether you like it or not. They are people who seek to destroy, who are hostile to you. And you cannot appease them. What do we do with this as believers? The first thing I would say is, is we need to focus on that they are our enemies because of Christ, no other reason. If we have enemies in the world because of political ideology and things like that, we need to seek how we cannot be hostile with one another. But as we become increasingly on the out in a country that has been Christian, majority there once was a time when the, most people, even if they weren't believers, ascribed Christianity. As we become a minority in this country, and even as we become a, 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 an out-of-favor minority, we need to recognize and accept that it is normal for Christians to have enemies. This is the normal stand that it was. In fact, it would be, it would be bad if we did not have enemies. It would, be, it would be awful if you didn't have enemies as a Christian. Lord willing, the world does not like you if you are following Jesus. Now, hopefully the world doesn't like us because we're jerks as Christians. That's different. That is not because we're a Christian. That's because we're a jerk, right? But Jesus himself told us in John chapter 15, he said, if the world hates you, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So, so whenever you see Christians who the world seems to agree with and like, you got to kind of watch out for them. And, and the world doesn't have to be, you know, given to all sorts of sin and, and the progressive view. Uh, there are people on the other side of the political spectrum that are the world that try to do things in the power of the world in the same way. If the world likes us, we got to be careful and wonder why do they like us. It can't be because the world likes us because of Christ, because they don't like Christ. They hated him. So we need to get to the point where we accept they're not going to like us. We still need to be able to share the truth even if they don't like us. We can't let their, the fact that they don't like us change our hearts towards them, though. James, in chapter 4, verse 4, he tells us, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we see in, in, in Jesus and in James, and, and John shares the same thing in 1 John, that, that the world is hostile to Jesus and his people. And if we want to be friends with the world, we'll make ourselves an enemy to Christ if we do that. Now what's Jesus' answer to all this and to having enemies? He tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 48, our text for this morning. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now when he says you have heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, hate your enemy is not in Scripture. That was something that the Jewish leaders were passing down, the teachers, the rabbis were passing down. Love your enemy, and if you're gonna, or love your neighbor, and if you're going to love your neighbor, then hate your enemy. But Jesus says, no. You've heard it was said that way, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I know some of you have translations that have more in verse 44 than I have there. That's just a matter of different, different ideas on which manuscripts to use. It doesn't change the central focus, which is we recognize that there are those who will persecute us, those who will hound and, and, and chase us and push us. That we have enemies, those who are hostile towards us. And Jesus is teaching that the proper response for a Christian isn't enough just to not hate. You know, it, it's kind of like the disciples, you know, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Because you know, the rabbi said you only had to do it three times. It's not enough just to say, well, let's just not hate our enemy. It's not enough for us to not hate. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And so if you, as we think about the powers in the world, the people in the world who seek to destroy what you have, who would want to destroy your, your faith, walking with Christ, your ability to worship him freely, 
who would want to destroy the economy that you have, the way you make a living, how you live. As Christians, our first order is that we not hate them, but instead love them. So all the people, you know, you have these marchers, and then you have counter-protesters. Boy, I, I think counter-protesting and, you know, they're throwing milkshakes made of concrete, so what, are the, you know, what does the other side do? No, that's not Christ. Christ does not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, let me fight you back, you're attacking me, I'll attack you back. That is not Christ. Christ is, I love you. Christ is to show them love. And that's what we see there in verse 44. He says, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That we would pray for them who are, you know, intercede on their behalf with God. And why? So that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He doesn't just water the fields of the good people. He waters the field of the wicked people too. It's interesting that I went looking for it. I could not find a place where God is described as being an enemy. God has enemies. We are enemies against him. He says to Abraham, your enemies will be my enemies. But nowhere is God described as being an enemy. Because remember, what's what's the definition of an enemy? Somebody who's hostile to another, seeking to injure, overthrow, or confound them. Well, God is not hostile. He is not seeking to injure anyone. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. God disciplines, he punishes the evildoer, but he is not against the evildoer. He is not trying to destroy them. He desires to save them. He wishes that none would perish, but all be saved. He is not the enemy. God is not an enemy. So we must not be enemies to our world. We we cannot, we must not be enemies to our world. We, We can't have an attitude of, I want to destroy your way of life. I want to stop you from being... I mean, we we want them to come to Christ. That is not injurious, I hope. But to have the attitude of, I'm going to take you out because you're trying to attack me. That's not Christ. Christ never attacked the Romans even though they attacked him. That is not Christ. And that is not the way we're supposed to react to our enemies. To fight back. To say, I'm going to hurt you because you're hurting me. Jesus takes it even further than that in verse 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And you can say, if you love yourself, those that love you, what good is that? Maybe in modern day thinking, don't white people say hi to white people anyway? and not worry about that big, scary, white-looking guy. You know, now, sometimes I'm around places, and there's somebody who looks like a biker. And I might get a little nervous just because I don't know which side of the biking world he's from. But for the most part, 
We accept one another because we look similar. Asians and Asians, blacks and blacks, whites and whites, Hispanic and Hispanic, it's all, we accept people who are like us. Everybody does it. Anarchists love anarchists. They're nice to one another. Cops are nice to cops, even if they don't like each other. But these, these sides might not be nice to one another. But if we do that, if as Christians, if we love Christians, what good is that? What have we done? Nothing different than the wicked people have done. He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. Then he says in verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. If you greet them, you know, hi, how you doing? A greeting was sort of a blessing. In fact, at one point when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, don't greet anyone. Don't give anybody a greeting. Just press on. Because to greet somebody meant you stopped for them. It meant you stopped what you were doing and you gave them your attention. You, you validated them. You actually treated them like a human being. And he's saying here, if you just greet one another, if you just greet those that love you, if you just greet those that are like you, only your brothers, you're doing just what the Gentiles do. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the focus, again, just like how he waters the wicked and the righteous, he, sends the, he gives the Son to the wicked and the righteous equally. What he's telling us is that our attitude, our heart, can't just be, well, I'm not going to harm you. I don't mean you any harm. I'm not hostile against you. Just you stay there. I'll stay here. That's not good enough for Jesus. It's not just I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to be your enemy. You might be my enemy, but I will not be your enemy. You may be hostile to me. You might want to destroy what I've got. That doesn't mean I'm going to reciprocate. That's not enough. He says if you're really going to be like your Lord and Savior Jesus, if you're really going to be like your Father in Heaven, then we must engage with and even bless our enemies. To recognize them as human beings. They might be severely messed up human beings. But better for us to recognize this is a person who is sick in their head maybe. This is a person who was raised in such a way that they don't know anything different but to lash out at me like this, to treat me like this. And if they don't have Jesus in their heart, how can we expect them to do any differently? Because they're of the world. It's not enough that we not be their enemies in response. It's not enough that we, we just stay on our side and we don't hurt them. But we've got to try to figure out some way to engage with them. To acknowledge their existence, their humanity, maybe even the things that they are feeling that are good and true. Even if the ways that they are coming out with it are hostile. And, and honestly, and this is, why, this is why I want to talk about this now, because we, we have to get to the point where we're thinking this way before they show up at your doorstep. And we have to start thinking about it this way before it gets real. While it's still just kind of theoretical in our lives. They want to make me stay at home. They don't want me to go to work. They don't want me to worship. That, that's mostly theoretical. I'm experiencing it, but it's on a gentle side. Now is the time to learn how to love these people who want to hurt me. Now is the time to figure out how do I engage with them? How do I, how do I love them as Christ has loved me? 
as Christ loved those who crucified him. Because when the day comes, when it gets more serious, chances are we will have compromised too much by then, and we're just going to keep going that way. Because it will start with good things. It will start with things that are hard to argue with, like our health. I don't want to kill Granny, so surely I'm not going to have church, because I don't want to be responsible for anybody dying. Hard to argue with that, isn't it? We don't realize that maybe five steps down the ladder, we'll get to the point where Christians are viewed as a health risk, as a health problem, like they are in some countries. And we have to be taken care of. How do we engage with and bless people like that? I don't know how you do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus was able to do it. And we are not. And I know this is a... We can disagree on who is our enemy. I might have ideas of who is my enemy, and you might have ideas that other people are your enemy. We can disagree about that. We all come from our own place, our own flawed existence. But the reality is, is that there are those who do wish us harm who will wish us harm in our faith. And I think our normal behavior as American Christians is to meet hostility with hostility. It's to fight back. It's hard not to. But Jesus calls us instead to love back. To not be an enemy. To love our enemies. And not just to not hate them, but to seek to bless them, to engage with them, to acknowledge them. Because ultimately, what matters is not whether or not our economy continues, or our society continues, or or our country continues. None of these things ultimately matter. There was a time when they didn't exist, and there will be another time when they don't exist. What matters is the cross of Christ the gospel message that we share. And we are entering a place where we're not going to be sharing the gospel message from a position of authority in the world or a position of power within our country. But we're going to be sharing this message from a place of persecution and marginalization. And we have to be ready for that today. We have to start seeking God's help. How do I love the people that want to hurt me? And asking his help through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we Lord, I, I fully recognize we probably aren't all in the same place where we see it as clearly as I, I do. And I may see it clearly and I might see it poorly and wrong, even in my clarity. But Lord, we see it in other countries. We see people arrested for just Facebook posts in Australia. Pastors arrested for holding church in Canada. We, we see that it's not just the communist countries of Eastern Europe and China, but we see it in even democratic countries. And we see it starting here. The first steps 
We see it starting, Lord, and we pray. I pray, Lord, for us that you would help us to decide today how we're going to follow you, that we would not be enemies to our country, that we would not be enemies even to our, our, our country's enemies, but, Lord, that we would seek to be friends, to seek to, to be like Jesus, to bless, to recognize them, and to seek how we might share Jesus. Lord, I pray in, in our response, I pray for the church in America as it responds to different things. We have seen over the years, the church responds just like the world. We respond with hostility, we respond with anger, we respond with political movements. And Lord, we're no better for it. If anything, the church is weaker because of it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church, not just here in Eagle Mountain, but in our country and even throughout the world to trust in you, that you have told us we don't have to fight, that you have told us to love our enemies. And so, Father, we pray that we would love and not fight. I pray, Father, for anyone here today who is an enemy to you because they have not believed in Jesus Christ, who is still in their sin and in rebellion against you. Lord, I pray that they would not see you as their enemy, but as their Savior. And that they would seek you and respond to you as you call them by name. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.